Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, empowered with knowledge, understanding learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has signed your food and your drink. Why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all the kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Corey. It's a great chapter to begin our study of Daniel with this morning. And just a quick word before we get started. If you want to get the most out of this study, I would encourage you to do a few things. Uh, as always, first of all, pray. Pray for yourself to have ears to hear the Word of God each week, and pray for me as I prepare to preach. The more you pray for me, the better the sermons will be. So please do pray for me. Read. Read the book as we study it together. I would encourage you to read along with us each week. We send out an email that tells you which passage we will be looking at each Sunday. So please do read along with us. And then also come expecting God to speak. 
as you gather, expect God himself, the Holy Spirit, to speak to you through the preaching of the word. The Westminster Shorter Catechism question and answer 89 asks this question, talking about the importance of God's word, both to read it and to hear it preached. And the question is this, how is the word of God made effectual to salvation? And here's the answer. The spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. God works through the preaching of his word to save sinners and to build them up in holiness and comfort. We call that the call and the comfort of the gospel. And we'll talk more about that later on this morning. But come expecting God to speak to you, to build you up in holiness and comfort, for this to make a difference in your lives. And then I would also encourage you to talk with one another after the service to ask each other about the sermon. What encouraged you? What made you think? What would you like to know more about? So to get the most out of this study, pray for yourself, for me, read along with us, come expecting God to speak, talk about it with one another, and then of course, may we be doers of the word and not hearers only. Well, the book of Daniel was written to God's people who were suffering in exile. That's the immediate context. They heard this word as they were suffering in exile. The book begins with this statement. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And as you read, you see that he took the people captive. He tried to destroy their faith to compel them to worship his false gods to compel them to become idol worshipers. God's people were suffering. They were in exile. They were in a land and among people who were hostile to their faith. Now, our circumstances, our setting today are not the same, but we do face, as God's people today, we do face similar challenges. How will we respond when persecution comes our way? How will we live if we find ourselves surrounded by people who do not share our faith and may even be hostile to our faith? Will we give up the Christian faith and join in the worship of other gods or will we remain faithful? These are questions that we face. And beloved, we may not be living in Babylon today. An enemy army has not come and carried us off to a foreign land, but God's word does tell us that this world is not our home. We are in the world, but not of the world. And Paul tells us our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And scripture does speak of Babylon not only as a physical place, as in here in Daniel, but also as representative of the enemies of God's people. And we do face that today. And earlier we heard from Peter's first letter, that he does indeed refer to God's people as exiles. Hear those words again. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. That is a phrase referring to those who do not know God, do not love God, those who may be hostile to your faith. Keep your conduct among them honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God 
on the day of visitation. So there is indeed a way, a sense, in which it is proper to speak of us as God's people today living in exile. For we do indeed live in a sinful and evil world and we long and we pray for God's kingdom to come so that we can indeed be together with God's people, dwelling in God's presence, in his kingdom, enjoying his reign forever. And beloved, that great day is coming. But we are not there yet. So what hope does Daniel give us while we wait? We need hope and encouragement while we wait in this world, while we're still engaged in this spiritual battle, while we still live in a world that's full of sin and suffering. What hope do we have? What hope did Daniel give to the people at the time, this this book of Daniel that was written? What hope did God intend his people who were suffering in exile to receive from this scripture? And what hope does this book give us today? Well, the overall theme of the book and really the theme of today's sermon from Daniel chapter 1 are essentially the same. And I have boiled it down to the simple phrase, faithfulness in exile. Faithfulness in exile. But whose faithfulness? God's or ours? Ah, it's a trick. Both. Both. The book of Daniel shows us both God's faithfulness to his covenant, to his promises, to his people. God reigns over all. He is in control of all things. He is the sovereign king. And then the book of Daniel also shows us the faithfulness of his people in the midst of a hostile world. And indeed we'll see that the faithfulness of God's people is enabled, is possible only because God himself is and always will be faithful to them and to his character. When Daniel was first written, God's people needed this reminder. They needed this hope that motivated their own faithfulness. And beloved, we need this today. You need it, and I need it. We need the same reminder today. God is faithful. He's faithful to his covenant. He is faithful to his promises. He's faithful to his people There is indeed hope in the midst of the darkest, most painful circumstances. And we need this hope today, and I know it's on our minds. Our brothers and sisters in Ukraine need this hope today, and we'll pray for them later this morning. But we know that God reigns, that he is in control, that he indeed is working as he tells us. He's working all things from what seemed the biggest to us to the smallest, but all things according to the counsel of his own will, to the praise of his glorious grace, and for the good of his people. Yesterday morning I read Psalm 26, and this theme from Daniel has been running through my mind all week long, and so when I read Psalm 26 and I came to verse 3, I thought this is the perfect verse for this sermon, perhaps even for the series. Psalm 26.3 says, For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. Short, simple, direct. I would encourage you to meditate on that verse, to memorize that verse as we do this study together. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, 
and I walk in your faithfulness. King David wrote that psalm, and notice, it was his awareness of the Lord's faithfulness, the steadfast love of the Lord, the covenant love of the Lord. It was his loyalty to him and to all his people. Your steadfast love is before my eyes. He's meditating on it. He's remembering it. He's thinking about it. And it has an effect in his life. It's that thought that then motivates David to remain loyal to the Lord. To walk in obedience to his king. Your steadfast love is before my eyes and I walk in your faithfulness. Beloved, this is the comfort and the call of the gospel. The comfort of the gospel. God's love, his compassion, his forgiveness, his faithfulness toward his people, saints, sufferers, and sinners. But then also the call of the gospel. Be holy as I am holy. Walk in my faithfulness. Walk in that newness of life. The comfort and the call of the gospel. We see this throughout the book of Daniel and we see it in this opening chapter. The comfort of the gospel. God gave. And the call of the gospel. Daniel resolved. God gave. That idea is repeated three times in chapter one. Anytime you're reading scripture and you see something repeated over and over again, It's good to think about that. What is God communicating to us? So that idea is repeated three times in chapter one. The Lord gave, God gave, God gave. We will look at each one and we will see the sovereignty of our faithful God. God gave. But then also Daniel resolved. We will not only see the faithfulness of our God, we will see how God then enabled Daniel to live faithfully in the midst of exile. So let's begin with God gave. Verse 1 again. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. The first God gave was actually his judgment on his own people. God gave his own people into the hand of his enemies. Why? Well, the book of 1 Kings tells us about one of Judah's earlier kings, Hezekiah. And Hezekiah had received a visit from the king of Babylon. The king of Babylon came with an envoy and with a, a pile of gifts that he showered upon Hezekiah. And the understanding implication in this visit and these gifts from the king of Babylon was that he wanted Hezekiah's help. He wanted Hezekiah's partnership, his allegiance, his alliance? Did Hezekiah have anything that he could give in return? Would he join him in an alliance against Assyria? And what did Hezekiah do? How did he respond as he saw what Babylon could give him? He responded in kind. He took the envoy on a royal tour of all of his riches, showing them all that was in his storehouses, all his treasures, even though God had already previously delivered his people from Assyria. Hezekiah, what is he doing? He's valuing the wealth of Babylon, a political alliance. He's valuing that over trust in and dependence on the Lord. He is forsaking faithfulness to his God and entering into a partnership with the gods of this world. As long as Hezekiah is comfortable and 
wealthy, he will despise the Lord's judgment. And so the prophet Isaiah said to Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 20, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. And what do we find in Daniel 1? God kept his word. God gave his people into the hand of their enemies the painful consequences of their sin. The Lord was sovereign over this exile. He was at work for his glory. And we'll also see that ultimately, though it was judgment, it also was for the good of his people. Let's read on, verse 2. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Now, in the ancient world, to take the vessels from the place of worship to defeat a people was to defeat their God. So think about what's happening here. The message that rang out loud and clear to all the people, both God's people and their enemies, was this. Yahweh, the God of Israel, has been defeated. That's what the people are thinking, what they're feeling. And as they, weighed, they, as they made their way back to Babylon with the treasures of Judah, perhaps those Babylonians sang their songs. Praise Marduk, from whom all blessings flow. They worshipped the false god Marduk. Or maybe it was more contemporary songs. We will rock you. Warm up the bus. That was the attitude because the point was they've conquered this people. They reign over them. They own them. They would have been putting them to shame. Psalm 25 comes to mind. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. That's what God's people were suffering. But he goes on and he says, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. And beloved, if this is your first time here, you have to keep coming because we're going to see this come true in the book of Daniel. So you can't stop at Daniel 1. We've got to see the whole way through. Yes, God gave his people into the hands of their enemies. But yes, there was mercy and hope and eventual salvation even in the midst of this judgment. The king of Babylon brings the spoil to the land of Shinar. Shinar. That's a very significant detail. Anyone know what happened in Shinar? You'll find it in Genesis 11. The Tower of Babel. The place where the people defied God. God had told them to go out and spread out, and they said, no, we want to stay here. We want to build our own little kingdom. They defied God, and what did God do? He brought judgment. So when God's people living in exile hear these words, this reminder, they've been taken off to Shinar, there would have been a a burst of hope. Shinar, we've, we've heard of Shinar before. We're reminded of the Tower of Babel, and that brings to our mind what? God's judgment on his enemies. So is Babylon repeating history? Babylon now is a place that 
opposes God and his kingdom. And what happens to those who oppose God and his kingdom? Their days are numbered. They cannot and they will not stand. Yes, God gave the people into the hand of the king of Babylon. But there was mercy in this judgment. God is indeed the righteous judge of all the earth. He reigns over kings and nations and wars. And there was hope for God's people in exile. But in the meantime, there were also very painful consequences and circumstances. It's hard for us to imagine this, but we read about these people, young people, taken away from their homes, taken away from their families. And this is where we are introduced to Daniel and his three friends. Anyone know their names without looking? We normally think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? But those aren't their real names, are they? Those aren't their real names. I remember one time when I was, I think it was when I was a youth pastor at Westminster years ago, and Ruth, maybe you'll appreciate the story. One of your younger brothers came up to me. It might have been Caleb, I'm not sure. But he just caught me in the hallway, and he's like, Troy, do you know who Hananiah is? Or it might have been Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I'm not sure. But in the spur of the moment, I was like, uh, no, I don't think so. I hadn't been ordained yet. I hadn't gone through my seminary studies. I hadn't been studying Daniel, that's for sure. And uh, I think he was a little proud that he knew something that the youth pastor didn't. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And at the time... I didn't think much of it. I just thought, well, I haven't been reading that lately. That's a little piece of Bible trivia. But actually, I think it's pretty important that we remember these men by their real names. We'll see why here. You see, see what's happening. These young men are ripped from their families, taken away from their homes. They're taken to a land where the people worship false gods. They worship idols. They worship devils. And they are indoctrinated into the life of Babylon. That's the goal. The king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he wants to indoctrinate these young people to make them Babylonian. To bring them into his army, his kingdom. He wants them to leave their old way of living behind. To leave Yahweh behind and join him in the worship of his gods. So they were not only to learn the ways and the practices of Babylon, but they were given New names. Their original Hebrew names pointed them to the true God. Reminded them of who their God really was. Of who they belonged to. And you see it in each one. So they each, Daniel, Daniel, they each have the name of God. El for God or Yah for Yahweh. So Daniel, God is my judge, is given the name Belteshazzar. Bel or Marduk protect the king. Hananiah, Hananiah, Yahweh has been gracious. Shadrach, the moon god Aku, commands. Mishael, who is like El, who is like God. Meshach, who is like Aku. Azariah, Yahweh, the Lord is my help. Abednego, servant of Nebo, the Babylonian god of wisdom and agriculture. You see the significance? Forget who you are. Forget who you belong to. Let's even give you new names that are after the gods we worship and serve. So maybe we should remember Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
I'll have to tell Caleb. I should have known that. These young people in exile were under intense pressure to forsake their God. But as we will see, God was faithful to them. And he enabled them to be faithful to him. Our young people today are under intense pressure to forsake the faith. To forsake the one true God. As we all are, we live in a world that is hostile to God and his ways. And beloved, we must remember whose we are. We must remember who we belong to. I've mentioned this before, but anytime we have a baptism, I encourage you to remember your baptism. And you can do that every day. Part of what that means is simply this. Remember who you belong to. Young people, remember whose you are. When you leave the comfort of your home, you go off to your school, you go off to college, you go off and live on your own, remember whose you are. You are not your own. You belong to someone. There is a God who reigns over you, who gave his son for you, who loves you, who holds you in his hand. He's watching out for you. He's working all things for your good. And one day, he will bring you and all his people safely home to him. Beloved, you belong to someone. You belong to God. Remember whose you are. Your steadfast love is before my eyes. And I walk in your faithfulness. Remember whose you are and walk in his faithfulness. Let's move on to the second God gave, verses 8 and 9. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And we'll come back to that. We're saving Daniel's resolve for the last part of the sermon today. But therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And this is very dangerous. Just for this request, Daniel could be put to death. You see it in the chief of the eunuchs' response. He's afraid of the king. But what happens? God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And this would lead to the test with the food, where Daniel and his three friends are able to keep their resolve. God allows them to not eat the king's food and they only eat vegetables and they come back out better than all the rest. Again, we'll come back to that. But here, what do we see? Again, God reigns over all. God is sovereign over people and over bodies. Every heart is in his hand. Every event is at his disposal. He's not only sovereign over kings, but over every lesser servant, every person in this world. And we also see This is a direct answer to a prayer that was prayed long before. Beloved, God answers prayer. We recently had a sermon on prayer. And I just want to remind you a few important things. The first thing to note about prayer, that you heard me say this several times, is that through prayer, Jesus brings us into the relationship he has always enjoyed with his Father. And so prayer... Before it's something that we do, it's a relationship that we enjoy. Prayer is enjoying communion with God. But in that relationship, God does command us to bring our needs and our requests to him. And he delights when we do. And God hears and answers our prayers. God works through prayer to change you, to change others, to change the world. 
He did it here. See what happens here? This is a direct answer to Solomon's prayer from 1 Kings chapter 8. Solomon is interceding on behalf of the people. And he prays, O Lord, forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions that they have committed against you and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive that they may have compassion on them. And what do we read in Daniel 1? God gave them favor and compassion. So Daniel 1 is a direct answer to Solomon's prayer years later. Jesus taught his disciples a parable to teach them that they should always pray and not give up. Beloved, let us pray and trust in our God to hear and to answer. God is sovereign over the hearts of all people. Pray for God to change hearts. Pray for him to change Putin's heart. Bring an end to the destruction that he seeks to cause. Well, third God gave, verses 17 through 21. We read, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Their real names still used. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. So we see that God gave again at that very beginning, verse 17. God gave them learning and skill. God enabled them to prosper. Beloved, God is sovereign over our successes, over our blessings, over our life in the midst of opposition. Yes, these men worked hard. They submitted to God's reign. But God was the one who gave the blessing. God was the one who gave the increase. They kept God's steadfast love before their eyes and they walked in his faithfulness. They remembered the words of the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 27, where he told them to seek the, where, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And that is what Daniel and his friends did. They were able to serve in the court of this pagan king in a way that they prospered while they yet honored God. They did not compromise on their faithfulness and God used them to reveal his power and his glory. And we look forward to seeing that more and more as we continue this study. This chapter ends with this note, verse 21. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, you read that, it's easy to skip through those things. I don't know if you do a Bible reading program. Sometimes there's sections where you just, boy, that's a list of names. I can read that in two seconds. You know, sometimes you just kind of skim through things. And it almost seems like this might be one of those points. So the last verse, Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. But this is another very significant detail just like the mention of Shinar earlier in Daniel. The first year of Cyrus was the year that the decree was given that enabled the Jews to return home from exile. 
So this is some 70 years later. Now I think this is very interesting. We start, Daniel's carried off into exile. He's just a youth. And the book ends some 70 years later. We are only going to have insight into about maybe nine days of Daniel's life while he's in exile. He lived there over 20,000 days. So we have a little tiny insight into what happened. But all those years, all those days, the faithfulness of God compelled and enabled Daniel's faithfulness to him. God was faithful to Daniel throughout the entire time of exile. Babylonian kings came and went. They lived and they died as we will see. What's also significant about this is that King Cyrus is not the king of Babylon. By the time this book ends, Babylon has been defeated. The Medo-Persians have replaced them as the ruling world power under King Cyrus. You know, if chapter 1 ended at verse 20, you would not expect Daniel to outlive the reign of Babylon, but indeed he did. He was sustained by his faithful God, and this is what God does for his people. God is able to bring us through the sins and sufferings of this life, no matter how hard they may be or how long they may last. He is faithful and he reigns. God gave. Beloved, receive the comfort of the gospel this morning and keep the steadfast love of the Lord before your eyes. Now let's turn to the call of the gospel just briefly. Daniel resolved. Don't worry, there's only one Daniel resolve, not three. So, Daniel resolved, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Now, the text doesn't say it here. But I do want to point out that we know the reason Daniel had this resolve. Why did Daniel have this resolve? Because our faithful God gave it to him. So there could be a fourth God gave. God's the one who gave Daniel this resolve. He worked it in him. How do we know that? How do we know that if it doesn't say it here? Because the word of God says it somewhere else. It says it of all of us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his, goods, for his good purpose. So God was at work in Daniel's heart, turning his heart to him to have this resolve. God worked it in him. And Daniel resolved not to defile himself by eating the king's food. Now this brings up the question, you may be curious about this, why would eating the king's good food defile him? What was the problem? Again, the text doesn't tell us, definitely. And there's other places in scripture we turn to that maybe give us some insight. So some have said, well, Daniel did not want to eat this food because it wasn't kosher. may not have been prepared according to the Jewish dietary laws. Others said, well, maybe Daniel didn't want to eat this food because it had been offered to idols, and Daniel refused to participate in the worship of idols. It could be one of those, but I think it's something else. I think it may be because this resolve was Daniel's way of expressing dependence upon God and rejecting dependence upon Nebuchadnezzar. It was his small way of rebellion in a sense against the pagan god he would not bind himself to this king 
He would not depend upon this king's provision like Hezekiah did. I'm going to take the wealth and the comfort from Babylon. And Daniel says, no, I am not going to depend upon King Nebuchadnezzar. I will not be like King Hezekiah who traded trust in and dependence on the Lord for the riches of Babylon. And so what does Daniel request? I want to eat only food that grows naturally from God's earth. I, I want to depend on the Lord. I'm going to make that expressly clear even in the way that I eat. It may not be that, but I think that is an appropriate understanding of what Daniel is doing here. It gives us insight and to his trust in the Lord. You know, it can be hard to resist assimilation to the world around you, to the world that hates God, that is opposed to those who love God. It can be hard to resist that if you are well-fed and comfortable. It can be hard to resist that if you have everything that you want if comfort and wealth are your daily bread, and if they come from the one who wants to retrain you in the, the ways of idol worship, away from the worship of the one true God, you can see how that would draw you away. But Daniel resolved. Now, whatever the reason, Daniel's resolve was driven by a desire to be holy. He did not want to defile himself. He wanted to live faithfully in the midst of this opposition as a servant of his faithful God. So his resolve was a response to, and it was empowered by, the faithfulness of our great God who gave. So I want to conclude with one more God gave. This one, it's not from Daniel chapter 1, but from another passage in scripture that most of you would be familiar with John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave God so loved the world he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life Beloved God gave his son Jesus and what did Jesus do He lived faithfully He always did what pleased the Father. We are reminded of that once again this week as Lent begins and some enter into that practice. As we turn to the Gospels, we see that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Near the end of his life, that is repeated throughout the Gospels over and over again. But Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. What does that mean? It means he was resolved to do his Father's will. It means he was committed and willing to lay down his life for you. To give his life on the cross as a ransom for your sin. Beloved, we know that Jesus was obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And so just as Daniel and his friends were exalted in the presence of this worldly pagan king, Our true king, Jesus, was exalted to a much higher place. Philippians 2 tells us, Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Beloved, it's the cross of Christ which is the means by which God's faithfulness redeems the unfaithful. 
That's a great comfort for me today. Because the truth is, I'm a lot more like Hezekiah than Daniel. I'm a lot more like the one who failed than the one who was faithful. But beloved, there's good news for all of us. In the midst of our sin, in the midst of our struggles. And the good news is this, God is always faithful. He will never turn away from his people. He will never fail on his promise. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Hebrews tells us that God is faithful to save to the uttermost those who come to him through Jesus. And beloved, we must remember this every day if we are to endure this time in exile. So add Psalm 26.3 to your list of verses to meditate on and memorize. It's very simple. For your steadfast love is before my eyes and I walk in your faithfulness. So I invite you, beloved, to come to God through Jesus again today and to seek to have his faithfulness empower yours. How can we make it in this world of sin and suffering? What hope do we have? Well, let me leave you with one last quote from a familiar name to many, Corrie Ten Boom. She was familiar with suffering, the horrors of war, the concentration camps during the Nazi invasions. And she said this, look within and be depressed. Look without and be distressed. Look to Christ and be at rest. May you look to Christ today and every day. Amen.